episode two of the Eisner on the Ball podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Eisner, recording from FanRag Sports HQ in Phoenix, Arizona. And let's get right to it. The topic of the day is in San Diego, and it has to do with Joey Bosa, the only remaining unsigned first-round pick. Well, it looks like he's going to remain unsigned just a little bit longer as the Chargers withdrew their latest contract offer to him and released this following statement. And I want to read this to you right now because we're going to see between the statement that the Chargers released and the statement that his representatives released, there's a lot of tension here. Now, there's a difference between being having a lot of tension behind the scenes and not getting a deal done because, one, you would expect that if at this point in the offseason you don't have a deal done, there's some tension there. But this is very, very public tension. And for those of you who listened last week and listened to our Marcel Darius segment on how the Bills handled that situation, it's kind of a little bit reminiscent of that. And, and here's what the Chargers had to say, and I quote, We gave Joey's representatives our best offer last night, which was rejected today. The offer that we extended for, was for Joey to contribute during all 16 games and beyond. And beyond, because the Chargers are, they think they're going to make the playoffs this year. They're not going to make the playoffs this year. Spoiler alert. But I'll continue. Joey's ability to contribute for an entire rookie season now has been jeopardized by the valuable time he has missed with his coaches and his teammates. Since Joey will not report at this time, his ability to produce not just early in the season, but throughout the entire season has been negatively impacted. As a result, we will restructure our offer since Joey will be unable to contribute for the full 16-game season without the adequate time on the practice field, in the classroom, and in preseason games. Now, what the Chargers are pretty pretty simply here saying is that because you haven't accepted any of our prior offers, because you have missed so much time in training camp, you're not going to be ready for the regular season. You're not going to be ready for week one. We're also not budging our contract demands, so now we have a new excuse to say, eh, we're backing away from the table. We're going to, quote-unquote, restructure our offer which hint is going to mean we're going to offer you less than what we've offered you before and less than you've already rejected before in hopes that the threat of missing regular season games can put an end to this. Joey Bosa, his representatives released a similar statement counteracting the Chargers statement, and it says, quote, It is unfortunate that the San Diego Chargers have decided to manipulate facts and negotiate in the media. Keep in mind, keep that in mind as... They release this statement to the media. The team surely is not strengthening its relationship with Joey Bosa by taking this stance and making their position public. We have decided that we will not engage in public negotiations or discuss numbers and or terms in this negotiation. Again, this is a public statement released by Joey Bosa's PR team. We will say that it is ironic that the team now takes issue with the timing of Joey's arrival since the Chargers unilaterally decided to remain silent for the first 14 days of training camp instead of replying in a timely fashion to the proposal we made on the eve of training camp on July 28th. At this point, all we can do is continue to fight for a fair contract on behalf of our client as we do for all of our clients. The Chargers can focus on trying to sway public opinion but our focus will remain on our client and securing a contract for him that is fair and consistent with his draft position. Now, this is a very odd scenario because a lot of times you see high draft picks. Let's go back to, let's say, Eli Manning with the Chargers, perhaps, which is what uh, Joey Bosa's mother said was that she wished that they pulled in Eli Manning. But that all transpired on draft day. Manning was traded to the Giants on draft day. They get Phillip Rivers. They get picks that result in Sean Merriman and others. 
this is carrying over. So this becomes a very intriguing scenario now because Joey Bosa is going to miss regular season time unless there's a massive change of heart here. A massive change of heart here. Otherwise, he's going to miss time. And if he misses regular season time, he's going to risk regular season game checks. And he doesn't have any NFL game checks in his back pocket yet. Now, even though these aren't the rookie deals that they used to be, where you would see number one picks making more money, especially if they were quarterbacks, than league-established veterans who had won before, it's still a pretty decent chunk of money up there in the top three. And now he's going to miss all of that, at least for now. Now, somebody's got a budge here, and when we've talked about this in the past, on our last episode, we talked about the CBA, and we're going to get back to that because there have been some new developments since last week. The problem for players here is it's always going to hurt the player more than it's going to hurt the team. Sitting out games, missing game checks, is always going to hurt the player more than it's going to hurt the team. Quite simply, even if Joey Bosa is a difference maker in two games, two wins. Now, two wins is massive. Now, let's not say Joey Bosa is a two-win player himself, but... If he would have made the difference in two games, even if you want to call him that, that is still hurts the team less than it hurts Joey Bosa to not take a paycheck. Joey Bosa doesn't have millions and millions of dollars sitting away. He doesn't. Now, he might decide that, you know what? I'm going to bet on myself. I'm going to take a chance. I'm not going to join this team. I'm not going to take a deal that I think is unfair. Because I'm locked into that deal for four years with a fifth-year option. So if I, I don't like this deal, I'm not going to take it. That's a long time. That's a half a decade. Well, I mean, we always hear the average time, the average lifespan in the NFL is around three years. I think you'd get more than three years at a Joey Bosa, but you never know what can happen. Guys can get hurt. He can get hurt. He can get on the practice field, tears ACL tomorrow. Becomes instantly less valuable to that team. So this is a four- to five-year decision. He might decide, I'm going to sit out the whole year. I don't think he's going to because I think when push comes to shove, something will get done. But if he decides to sit out the whole year, he can re-enter the 2017 draft. Some might argue he's still a first-round pick, maybe even a top-10 pick, because he's got a lot of talent and he's very young. So I don't age is not going to be an issue. It's whether can he stay in shape, can he stay in football shape without playing games that long. That remains to be seen. But again, I, I don't think we're going to get to that point. I, I just I think at some point the allure of the dollars is going to be too much for him to overcome. Because we're not millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars apart here. So I think at some point, both sides are going to realize that, hey, the AFC West is a winnable division. Joey Bosa makes us better. We don't have a replacement right now. We are not a team that can handle not having Joey Bosa on the field long term if we want to win this season. Which, again, doesn't hurt. The Chargers are going to ask. They're going to ask their city in November to take a vote. They're going to ask their city to pay for a new stadium. Now, we can argue back and forth about the merits of publicly funded stadiums, of whether or not winning should matter there, but it's going to. I don't know how much it's going to. But if the team's got a winning record at that point, I'm not saying it's the difference because it's not, but it sure helps. It'll sure help on election day. That team is one or two wins, three wins. 
Again, that's not going to be the difference of whether it gets defeated or not, but it doesn't help. If that team is really good, that team's an AFC West championship contention, it's a lot easier to sell. Hey, look how good we are. Look at the promise to our future. You should pony up your hard-earned dollars to pay for our new stadium because we're going to leave. We're going to go up the road to L.A. We want to stay here, but nah, we kind of want to go to L.A. I mean, we'll stay here if you build us a new stadium. But anything short of that, we're gone. It's a little easier to sell that point if they're good. Hey, look how good they are. You don't want to lose this. You don't want to lose this team. Like I said before, it's not going to be the difference in the vote. But it's going to affect some people. And that's a winnable division. We talked about this last week on the show. We have no idea what the Broncos are going to look like. That quarterback situation is a mess, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Kansas City Chiefs had a good season last year, but they had a very poor start. And that team is not better right now than it was last season. There's no guarantee they win double-digit games again. The Oakland Raiders are good, but there's a lot of expectation on that team. And that's a team and a lot of young players who have never had NFL expectations placed upon their shoulders. How do they handle it? What happens if and when they lose two games in a row, three games in a row? Can they get themselves out of that tailspin, or does that become a four, five, or six-game losing streak that dooms your season? We don't know yet. But the San Diego Chargers, you know what I know? The best quarterback in the division is in San Diego. And that means a lot. It's very rare that the best quarterback in a division doesn't win the division or make a playoff run. Look at the Packers in the NFC North. Look at Tom Brady in the AFC East. It can happen. It happened in the AFC West last year, the best Best quarter. I mean, that would arguably one of the worst quarterback situations in the league. That team won the Super Bowl. But that's rare. Usually the team with the best quarterback is the team that's winning the division or in contention to win the division or a wild card spot. So as bad as they were last year, they're in contention. And they need Joey Bosa. And ultimately right now, Joey Bosa needs them. Unless he's, unless he's got some other place that's going to pay him that kind of money for him to stay in shape for a year. He kind of needs them. So we'll see how far this goes. It could go in the regular season. I didn't think it was going to last. I honestly did not think it was going to last this long. So trying to predict when it's going to end would be foolish on my part because I thought it would have been over already. Uh, And and I'm quite frankly shocked it's not. It just makes too much sense for both these sides not to get this done. But they continue not to get this done. And you wonder at some point if either side has dug, if, if not both, have dug their heels in so much that it's actually preventing this from getting done. That if what was on the table now was on the table six weeks ago, would it have got the job done? Only the Chargers and Joey Bosa know. But I wonder if this bad blood has gotten so bad that both sides are now cutting their nose off despite their face. And I think at some point, I think both sides will realize that and come to terms. And if they don't, it's going to be a problem because you can't let a number three pick go walk away for nothing. And if you're a number three pick, you better be darn sure that you're going to be a top 10 or at least top 32 pick next season. 
Although there are some benefits to going in the second round, uh, you know, namely not having that fifth-year option. But uh, that, that's a lot of money you're missing out. That's a lot of time, and you, you worry. You worry for both sides in that. The, the other big story of the week is in Cleveland. Josh Gordon. Now, there, there have been reports rumbling out there, as ESPN and other outlets, that multiple teams have had their eye on Josh Gordon in trade talks. Been looking at him. It's easy to understand why. When he's on the field, which, again, has not been often, played five games in 2014, missed all last season. It's not, it's not because of injury. I mean, I mean, he has his suspension problems. But when he is on the field, he has been a dynamic player. You look back at that 2013 season, 87 catches for 1,646 yards, nine touchdowns in only 14 games. That's an elite-level talent. So it's, there's no doubt that teams are looking at it and say, well, Cleveland's not really a contender. Maybe they're sick of all his antics. The guy's only 25. Maybe we can get him on the cheap. Is it worth the risk? According to, according to ESPN, multiple teams think it might be. At what price? We don't know yet. But they think it might be. But the one guy that does not want to leave Cleveland, he does not want to go somewhere else. He wants to be a Brown. Is Josh Gordon himself. So when it came out that, yeah, they're not really that all that interested in training him, Gordon talked about how happy he was just to, to be in Cleveland and the fact that he is, at least for the foreseeable future, going to stay there. I think it works out perfectly then for me. You know, um, Mr. Haslam and uh, the organization, Coach Jackson, I think the world of those guys in this city and this organization, and, uh, and apparently they're, they're showing the love and respect back to me by honoring me to stay here up to this point and expect to move forward with that. And I'm excited about it, and this is where I want to be, and I'm happy to be with Cleveland. He wants to stay in Cleveland. I know it's not something you hear a lot. It's not something that happens a lot in any, really any sport. I mean, you see with LeBron James now and the Cavaliers are finally – you know, won an NBA championship. So the perception on that team is a little different, but not around the Browns. It's not that different around the Browns. So it's a good sign that he wants to stay there. It is a good sign. And, you know, his coach talked about what he could bring to the team and what he's expecting to happen as he transitions back into the offense after missing so much time. He's, he's a talented player, as we all know, but, you know, he's just got to keep taking the next step. You know, I think this was different for him. It's been a while since he's been real sweaty, you know, real hot, you know, in that mode. And so he's just got to keep fighting it, and we got to get him there. You know, obviously he's a ways away from getting the opportunity to truly play in a game. But, uh, again, it was good for him to get out here and do this. Now what he's referencing there is Gordon's going to miss the first four games of the season due to suspension. So he, his, his demons of the past are not over with yet. He still has to pay the piper a bit. So it's going to be a while before Josh Gordon gets back on the field for, for the Browns. But if and when he does, and it's still an if. I mean, there's a lot of time between now. I mean, there's almost two months between now and the first game he is eligible to play in in the regular season. And considering his past, I think it's only fair to say it's still an if. He still has to remain clean between now and then. He still has to be a model citizen between now and then. And if he is, he gets back on the field, and then we get to see what kind of talent he has. Because it's been a long time since he's played a meaningful game in the NFL. It's been a long time. And, you know, you, you can do all the workouts. You can do all the cardio. You can be in the gym all you want. There's a difference between being in shape and in football shape. 
Can he be in football shape? That's the big question. RG3 could use him. I mean, Gordon is, is a massive talent, and RG3 can use him. Still young, he still has an opportunity. And if he can get his act together, he's a really good player. It's a shame It's a shame to see, and I talked about this last week with Marcel Darius, it's a shame to see someone with this much talent in their chosen profession throw it all away for nothing. For nothing. Regardless of how you may feel about whether or not though there should be suspensions for the things Josh Gordon did. The reality is there are. And he knows the rules. All the players know the rules. And, and again, we, we can yell to our blue in the face whether it's an issue with football, whether it's an issue with how we handle things in the real world. But the reality is, is an NFL player knows what they're getting into when it comes to policy. And Josh Gordon knew what he was getting into. He knew it. And multiple failed tests just tell me that you're uh, you know, there, there's a phrase that's used at the NFL Combine. It's called the D&D test. And that's the drug test they do at the Combine. And it's really what they call the dumber-dependent test. Because you know you're going to be drug-tested at the NFL Combine. Every single player at the NFL Combine is drug-tested. There's no, it's no surprise, it's no shock, it's going to happen. So for those who fail a drug test, it tells the NFL teams that you're either one of two things. You're either dumb or dependent, meaning you either know you either are just oblivious to the fact that there's a drug test, or you are so ignorant that you think you can beat it. Or two, you know it's coming, but you still can't stop. That's where the dependency comes in. How many times do you have to fail? How many times do you have to get in trouble before you wake up and acknowledge that something's got to change? And that's what's going to happen with Josh Gordon. And if he does, he's got a tremendous amount of talent. He's unbelievable when he's been on the field. Now he's just got to stay there. Transitioning back to Denver. Now, we talked a little bit last week about the Broncos quarterback battle. And I don't think we are any closer to knowing who's going to win this job now than when I sat here a week ago. But what I do know is, is Mark Sanchez's hold of this job is tenuous at best. I'm starting to wonder if Mark Sanchez is even going to be on this team. He has not looked good. He has not seized the moment. He fumbled a bunch in his last game. And that's been an issue for him. Protecting the ball doesn't just mean avoiding interceptions and throwing the ball away. Protecting the ball means actually protecting the ball when you're in the pocket or when you're running. He doesn't protect the ball. And turnovers are the death of NFL teams. And as, as we talked about last week, they don't need sensational quarterback play to win the AFC West. They just don't. They didn't get it last year and they won the Super Bowl. But they can't get awful play. Their quarterback position can't hurt them. doesn't need to necessarily help them, but just cannot hurt them. And every time the Mark Sanchez has the ball in his hands, at the moment, he's been hurting them. And, I think, and a key thing to note, and it was pointed out on Twitter by, by numerous outlets... The deal to get Mark Sanchez from the Philadelphia Eagles was a conditional draft pick. And that condition was he make the roster. So if they don't think he's going to start, they might not even keep him on the roster because they'll get that pick back. That creates a whole other can of worms. 
And Gary Kubiak's, again, we, he doesn't know who's going to start yet. It's still a three-quarterback three race. But what he does know is he's going to pick somebody by next week. You know, we've got three quarterbacks, two of which are, uh, weren't on this team last year, and so I knew this was going to take some time. And, and I think to a, a credit to them and how well they've battled and pushed each other, it's, you know, it's down to the, the nitty-gritty here, which we got to make. You know, I don't, we don't have to, but I'm going to make a decision next week, and we're going to go to work. So, uh, But uh, they've all put themselves in position to get the opportunity to go out there and compete. And that's somebody could very, very well be Paxton Lynch. Now, if you're not going to go with Mark Sanchez, and, and John McMullen of todayspigskin.com wrote about this the other day, so go check out his article. But his column made a lot of sense to me. If Mark Sanchez isn't your bridge, if he's not the guy that's going to be teaching Paxton Lynch how to be an NFL quarterback and, and some of the procedural things that go on with that, if he's not going to be good enough to lead your team this season, which is what you're looking for, I don't think they want to play Paxton Lynch in year one. They might have to, but they don't want to. But if Mark Sanchez is not going to be the guy to do that, it doesn't make sense for him to be on the roster. And then you wonder, what is Paxton Lynch going to learn from Trevor Simeon? What is he going to learn? I don't think he's going to learn a lot. So then you have to start wondering... Is, is maybe you start Paxton Lynch week one. If I had a guess right now, I think Trevor Simeon gets to start week one. That That's my guess, that Simeon starts week one. That Sanchez does not make the roster and Paxton Lynch is the number two and they bring in somebody else to be the number three emergency QB. So then the argument becomes, are you just trying to avoid, are you just going to redshirt Lynch to avoid throwing him to the wolves? Or do you say, hey, look, sink or swim. You might be the, you're the most talented quarterback we have on our roster. You're also the most raw quarterback that you have on the roster. But is Simeon, what is Simeon going to teach Paxton Lynch? He's just a placeholder. Whether it's for one week, two weeks, six weeks, a season, he's a placeholder. And if the placeholder is not going to be an NFL veteran, why bother? Maybe go to Lynch in week one. And, you know, and Lynch is going to be ready for that opportunity. At least he says so. At least he thinks so. He's very confident. And he's just happy to be in the mix. Um, I mean, I've always believed I was, uh, uh, no matter, you know, what the situation was. You know, like I said, I, like I said from day one, I'm confident that, you know, I have an opportunity to, to make the best of this opportunity. And, you know, that's what I've been doing. But, you know, uh, those guys have been playing well, too, in front of me. So uh, we're going to keep going, and I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing. Broncos are not in a good spot. I, I can't, again, I talked about this last week. I cannot remember a time where uh, the quarterback on a defending Super Bowl champion that position was so up in the air like it is right now. I just can't remember a time when that was the case. And again, this is a winnable division because of the Broncos quarterback situation. So what, again, one has to wonder, balance the risk of do you throw Lynch to the Wolves? Maybe he's not ready. And if he's not ready, don't do it. If you don't think he's ready... Don't do it. And not like, oh, we don't think it's ready because we don't want to play. No, no, no. If he's actually not ready to execute the game plan, you don't play him. But if he is, 
and Mark Sanchez has proven he can't be the guy for you, and your choice is between starting Simeon and Lynch, you start Lynch and see what you have. There's upside there. You're in your Super Bowl window, and I think that that's what complicates this problem because a lot of teams that have a young quarterback, they're not in their Super Bowl window. They're an ascending team maybe, or maybe they're at rock bottom and just got somebody. So they can afford to sit somebody for a little bit because you know what? They're not trying to win right now. The Broncos are in the midst of their Super Bowl window. With that defense, with some of the weapons that are on that offense outside of the quarterback position, that team is in its Super Bowl window. They're still my pick, although it's, it's getting tougher every day, but they're still my pick to win the AFC West this season. They're going to have at least one home playoff game. So they're going to have to make a decision here, and the decision might be to go with the high upside guy, even if it's a little early. And the high upside guy is Paxton Lynch. It, it, again, this is going to be an incredibly interesting battle to watch. This, this third preseason game, just watch it very closely. Watch the type of throws Watch the situations they're put in. Gary Kubiak has a very tough job right now. Again, I think Semyon's going to start week one. If I, if I were a bet man, which I am, I, I would put my money on Semyon starting week one. But I'm not sure I wouldn't go with Lynch. Just give him the ball and let him run with it right away. Transitioning now to another team that we talked about a little bit last week, but still in the news again for the quarterback situation the San Francisco 49ers. Colin Kaepernick versus Blaine Gabbard. And for whatever reason, there's little to no urgency to name a starting quarterback. Chip Kelly's really showing no interest in naming Blaine Gabbard the starting quarterback. Kaepernick's not back on the field yet. He's going to be soon. But right now he's not. He hasn't been on the field. So Jim Kelly says he's not ready to name a starting quarterback for the 49ers. He wants to see what Colin Kaepernick can do now that he's healthy. And all you know, reports out there said Kaepernick looked pretty sharp in practice on Monday and Tuesday. He didn't play in the last preseason game. Hasn't played yet. And, you know, Mockin is the offensive coordinator for the 49ers. He had a comment today I found very interesting. He said, quote, it's a competition, and Cap hasn't had a chance to perform yet. So when that happens, and when Coach feels like, Coach Chip Kelly, feels like it's time, we'll do that in regards to naming a starter. But right now, it's not time. We've got a ways to go before we play. They don't, you don't have a ways to go before you play. You have like two and a half weeks. I mean, yeah, you get an extra day because you're playing on Monday night, but you, you, you don't have a ways to go. Somebody's got to be under center week one. And that team might be going nowhere, but they have to play the games. I mean, you're obligated to go out there and attempt to football. And you got to do it with a quarterback. But this is simple. If Blaine Gabbert, if they wanted him to be that quarterback, he would have been their starter already. They do not want Blaine Gabbert to be their quarterback. It's quite obvious. It it really is. If they wanted Blaine Gabbert to be the guy, they have the perfect way to give it to him. He's been on the field. Kaepernick has not been on the field. I can only go with the guy that I can see play and is healthy. But they're not doing that. 
They want Kaepernick to win this job. And Bob Harkins of todayspacing.com wrote an article today about that, today being Wednesday, about how, you know what, it's, his column was, it's actually smart of them to do this. Blaine Gabbert's not the guy. And you know, you're not going to win a lot of games anyway. So just getting that Mark Sanchez type to just hold the fort down doesn't make a ton of sense. So what, you're going to win three games instead of two? You're going to win four games instead of three? Does that really matter in the scope of it all? It doesn't. So why not go with the upside guy? Again, we just talked about Paxton Lynch, and say what you will about Colin Kaepernick, but his upside, whatever that may be, is greater than that of Blaine Gabbert. And here's what Kaepernick had to say when he got back at practice the other day. It's great to be back out there. It's great to be back, you know, practicing with my teammates. Have there been any issues at all with the shoulder? Has it been? Everything's been going great. Everything's been going as planned. So uh, excited to get out there this Friday. So he's excited to throw the ball again. I don't blame him. He should be excited. He should be. I don't know how excited they should be about that. I don't know how excited 49ers fans should be about the season. Hint, not at all. But I, this is clear. They want if Kaepernick can go week one, if his shoulder is healthy enough to play week one, and he's not a train wreck in whatever play, game action he gets the rest of this preseason, he's going to be the guy. Or another theory that's been floating out there, which I think is extremely interesting, is they're looking to let Blaine Gabbert maybe start week one. And he's not going to be good. He has very little weapons. He has shown very little in terms of ability to get the ball down the field in his career. They can wait till Colin Kaepernick is fully healthy and he can come in and be the savior. Now, again, the flaw to this is it's a bad football team and he's not going to save them for much. He might save them for the number one overall pick to get them to number two or three, but he's not going to save them much. But it's clear Chip Kelly wants Colin Kaepernick to be the guy. They didn't want to trade him. They don't want to name Blaine Gabbert the starter. It is obvious they want Colin Kaepernick to be the man. And you know what? Colin Kaepernick should be excited. He should be ecstatic that somebody is still willing to give him a shot to be a starting quarterback in the National Football League. One can argue they're going out of their way to give him a shot to start in the National Football League. Seize your opportunity. Can you have success without Jim Harbaugh? Were you just a flash in the pan? You're going to be given the opportunity, whether it's week one, week four, week seven. He's going to be given the opportunity to get that job. And we'll see if he can run with it. But one quarterback who is running with, in this case, the backup job, Dak Prescott, who is the talk of the preseason. And it's not just Cowboys hype, although that is certainly playing a part in it. He has been really, 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 one more, really good this preseason. And with Kellen Moore getting hurt and going to be out for the season, we were, we've been waiting for the Cowboys to sign a backup quarterback. Now everyone's like, oh, Nick Foles, Nick Foles, Nick Foles. wasn't Nick Foles he chose to go to Kansas City. Oh, maybe they'll trade for Josh McCown. Doesn't look like they're going to do that. Now reports come out that the Cowboys are not going to pursue a veteran quarterback to back up Tony Romo. They're confident in Dak Prescott. Now, Prescott's a Cowboys fan. 
He loves this team. And he's taking advantage of every opportunity he can to make an impact. Make an impact he has. I mean, coming out of Mississippi State, guy that did not take a lot of snaps under center, he's been working extremely hard to get to where he is. And he is putting up eye-popping numbers. That's the preseason. And again, preseason football, it lies to you. It lies to you. But you also don't want to ignore when somebody's having a really good performance. It's still hard. It's not the regular season. It's not against starters. It's not against the team that is looking across from you in a game that matters. But it doesn't hurt. And, and, and Prescott is just so happy and is taking advantage of his opportunity. Because, you know, he wants to be a starter one day. And not just a starter in the league. He wants to be a starter for the Dallas Cowboys. I want to be a starter of this organization right. one day and a starter in this league for a long time. So I'm going to continue to push myself and make myself as best I can. So I'm just coming in, like I said, to prove myself each and every day. And I think if I put my best effort out there, it'll say for itself. It's the franchise he loves. It's the franchise he grew up rooting for. He gets a chance to play for them, and he's taking every single opportunity. I would caution everybody to pump the brakes a little bit. Uh, Dak Prescott's not the greatest quarterback of all time. He's not going to be the best. I would highly doubt he's the best quarterback to come out of this draft. I think that's the guy out there in Denver, Paxton Lynch, who I talked about earlier on the show. But it's a good sign to see him have success. Now, if Tony Romo gets hurt like he has so often in the past, I'm not going to say, oh, it's okay, Dak Prescott's got this. No, 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 no. Not that point yet. Happy for him, happy to see his success. Hope it continues. Hope he continues to grow into an NFL talent who can start one day, who maybe can be the heir apparent to Tony Romo in Dallas. Because that era is coming to an end fairly soon. And it's not because Romo's bad. It's because he's getting old and he's, he's been hurt a lot. Father time's undefeated, especially for somebody with an injury, injury history. But he's not the greatest quarterback of all time. So uh, I know the hype train has gotten a little out of control on Dak. And he deserves a lot of praise. For going going after a veteran option, I'm not sure it's a great move. It might appease the fan base. The fan base might be fooled right now. But uh, you need someone to steady the ship. Because you look at the Dallas Cowboys, and you got to argue now, despite how bad they were last season, they're still, they still see a crack in the window that is the Super Bowl window. That was a really good team a couple years back, and it was really, and they were playing fine before Romo got hurt. That's a team with a lot of talent. Now, I think that defense is still a little bit overrated. I don't think they were ever going to be as good as they were a couple years ago. But that offense is a lot of weapons, and if Tony Romo's healthy, that's a, that's a contender. They could win the NFC East. Uh, I'm not handing that crown to Washington if there's a healthy Tony Romo. But if there's not, that's proven to be a bad football team not a eh, football team a bad football team and i'm not sure my opinion on that team changes because dak prescott's having a strong preseason in fact it's not that team will only go as far as the quarterback position will take them and i think they're going to fall into the same traps once again if tony romo gets hurt so if you're a cowboys fan be excited because i think what you're looking at is somebody who could very well be the qb of the future that has taken a liking to not only the city and the team because he's a fan of it, but to the playbook, to the staff, and he's going to give his best effort. And you know what? Maybe that little bit of motivation, wanting to play for that team, having a little bit of success here early on, propels him to even greater success down the line. Maybe he's the guy down the line. But for this year, 
if you want to win that division, if you want to win a playoff game, if you want to go to the Super Bowl, it's not going to be with Dak Prescott under center. I don't care how many touchdowns he throws for or how many ad- touchdowns he adds on the run in the preseason. He's not the guy in 2016. A guy that was drafted two rounds, two full rounds ahead of Dak Prescott is rookie kicker Roberto Aguayo for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he has been in the headlines for all the wrong reasons. This is a guy who did not miss a kick from inside 40 yards his entire collegiate career and has missed numerous field goals including multiple extra points this preseason. Now, he is in a position to fail. And if you go to todayspigskin.com, I know it's the third time I've dropped todayspigskin.com in this episode, but there are a litany of stories from our staff of Buccaneers writers about Roberto Aguayo and the unrealistic expectations that are on his head. The Buccaneers have caused this. Now, when you draft a kicker that high in the second round, there's almost nothing that that kicker can do to live up to that draft stock. You could talk about Sebastian Janikowski and being the first round, but even he, and he is the best case scenario, is probably still not worth where he was drafted. So Aguayo was destined to fail from the beginning. There was almost nothing he could do in the course of his career to justify his draft position. So the minute, the second he struggles, that's all comes back on him. He's not a seventh-round pick. He's not a hopeful that was an undrafted free agent signing. Wasn't even a guy that was traded for. He was the second-round pick of a team that's ascending, a team that needs as much talent as they can get. They used a second-round pick on him. So unless he has a perfect season, nobody was going to be happy. The problem now is, is you put a lot of pressure on a young player. And now that he's missing it and people are questioning him, um, he's hired some coaches to help him out. He's talked about how the mental aspects of it. It's getting in his head. Uh, getting might be strong. It's already in his head. He hasn't even kicked in a game that counts. And he's already doubting himself. This is the other issue with drafting a kicker that high. You put them in a no-win scenario. If they're great, well, they better be great. If they're okay, what a waste of a pick. If they're awful, fire the GM. That's what the reaction is going to be. And I don't think anybody, anybody has looked at Jason Light and said, go fire him because of the Aguayo pick. But if he misses a lot of picks, that, that narrative is going to be out there. You and I both know that narrative is going to be out there. And whether it's viable, whether it's from legitimate sources, but it, it's going to be out there. And in the echo chamber that is the world we live in with Twitter and social media, and it gets to beat writers, it gets to other writers, it gets to columnists, and it gets talked around, and then it gets out there on the internet, and then all of a sudden it's a story. They put him in a no-win scenario, and, and he's going to have a tough time getting out of it. And I'm rooting for him because p- people are brutal. They are brutal to athletes who underperform. And there's no more rabid fan base out there than those of NFL teams. And draft picks are gold in the NFL. Gold, 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 gold. And that's a high pick. Teams don't – you can't cut a second-round pick. They're not, and they're not going to cut them. I, I've heard people suggest, oh, they got – no. 
you're at, you've already spent the second round pick on him. You've already you've already that's a sunk cost. You got to do your best to get the most out of him. And if it doesn't work out down the line, you, then you cut bait. But they're not going to cut him right now. That, that, that's ridiculous. But I'm rooting for him. I hope he does better. I hope he does well. I, I don't want to see this. I, I, I don't want to see a player be stuck in a spot now where he's already, I mean, before he's kicked a one game in the NFL, has to hire a bunch of coaches to, to get up his confidence and to, to get him back to the basics. That doesn't bode well. And I'm, I'm not calling him soft. I, I don't want that to come across as that. But how could he not? How could he not start to doubt himself? That's a lot of pressure to put on anybody. It's a lot of pressure to put on a second-round quarterback. Unless a second-round kicker, where everybody's going to hate your guts from the start because, oh my God, I can't believe my team drafted a kicker in the second round. You can go 49 or 50 on field goals in the regular season. You can make your first 49. That 50th field goal that you miss, somebody's going to complain. Oh, look at, you know, if they, they can't believe we spent a second-round pick on this kicker. He's not even a real football player. So they put him in a no-win situation. And you know what? He hasn't been good. He'd be criticized if he wasn't a second-round pick. But not like this. He's in a bad spot. And I hope he turns things around. The Buccaneers certainly hope he turns things around. Aguayo certainly hopes he turns things around. But it's not looking good right now. Uh, for the last couple topics of the show tonight, I want to kind of address a couple things we talked about in the last show. And, and the big story was the NFLPA and the NFL involving the Al Jazeera report and the NFL demanding that the four players, Julius Peppers, Clay Matthews, Mike Neal, were to submit to interviews. And if they didn't, they would be suspended for contract detrimental. The fourth player, and that's James Harrison, who was the most vocal of the bunch. And I played a number of clips for you about James Harrison and from his coach. All four of those, all plus players have had to submit to those interviews. Harrison's going to do one very shortly, I believe, on the on the uh, the twenty fifth. He's unhappy about it, as you can imagine, uh, and I believe, actually, I'm certain that uh, he had such nice, not nice things to say about Mr. Goodell. Recently. It goes to a, 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 you know, a conduct detrimental. It, it, it leans to the hands of that crook. I mean, uh, uh, Roger Goodell. You know, he can do whatever he wants. You know, and that's just a collective bargaining agreement. He called him a crook. I love how James Harrison like pretends, like, oh no, I didn't mean to call him a crook. I meant Mr. Goodell. I, I love the sarcasm here. Love the sarcasm here. Uh, the, the James Harrison versus Roger Goodell battle of the last few years has been really a treat from somebody on the outside. But it does bring up major issues. And I talked about this last week where I said they're probably going to have to do this. We, we can sit here all we want and talk about what's right, what's wrong, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. The Pandora's box, it opens. I, James Harrison talked about it last week. I played a clip for you where we talked about if somebody accuses him of being a pedophile, is he going to have to answer to Roger Goodell? Because... Anybody can make a claim, whether it's true or not or ridiculous. It doesn't matter. Anybody can make a claim. Well, honestly, it looks like, the, yes, that's what's going to happen. Goodell has a lot of power. As I mentioned last week, the deflate gate scenario, again, it stopped being about deflated footballs extremely quickly, and it was about the power of Goodell and the league in the collective bargaining agreement to dole out punishment. And it's a lot. It's a lot of power. It's a lot of power here. 
James Harrison would not – if there was any way, aside from missing football games and game checks, that James Harrison could get out of interviewing with Roger Goodell, he would have done it. And he couldn't do it. If there's any way. So if he can't do it, it's going to be hard for anybody else to. And the other problem is if you want to challenge this, one, I'm not sure you're going to win because we do have a court case now with the, with the Tom Brady deflategate scandal that kind of shows Goodell has this power. But even if you want to challenge it, again, much like we talked about earlier with the players can least afford to miss games versus teams missing the players, missing game checks while you're trying to go through an appeal process or trying to go through the court system, that's going to hurt a player a lot more than it's going to hurt the league and a lot more than it's going to hurt the team that's without the player. So once again, the players are forced in this situation, but they don't have a choice. And this goes all the way back. This is how these things come into place. This is how the CBAs work. Because as strong as you want to be, the union of players makes far less money than the union of owners. And when the revenue stops coming in, the millionaire, the billionaire owners can hold off a lot more than the thousandaire millionaire players. Because you might say, okay, well, I've got this guy and he's making all this money and he's, yeah, he might be fine. But what do you think the 50th man on the roster for the Pittsburgh Steelers is making? What about the guy making veteran minimum? Can he afford to miss game checks? No, he can't. And those are the players that make up the majority of the players union. The majority of the players union do not make top dollar. One, that's not how averages work. And two, you're only paying for a certain number of players to be at that elite level. But the reality is every vote counts. So if you have a large portion of the players union that's like, hey, I need a game check. And yes, I wish, I agree that we need this, 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 and this. But ultimately, I need a game check. But guess what happens? They cave. They get the game check. The owners get everything they want. Or almost everything. It happens in all leagues. Not just the NFL. It happens in all these leagues. Because the power of the owners to withstand losses is greater than the power of the players to withstand losses. And that's what leads to CBAs that give commissioners power like the one Roger Goodell has right now. And that's what leads to these instances. Roger Goodell might be the most hated man in professional sports right now. Certainly he's probably the most hated man who hasn't committed a crime in professional sports. But you know what? If I'm an NFL owner, he's doing a phenomenal job. I'm getting everything I want. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens in the next CBA. Because the players want a lot of things. I'm sure they want to limit Goodell's power. Uh, I, th- I do truly believe medicinal marijuana will be a part of the conversation. Now, who knows if it's actually a part of the final product. On the other side, the NFL wants an 18-game season. And here's the only thing. That if the players don't have a lot of leverage... But if they decide they want to give in on the 18-game season, which is a massive given, let's be honest. I mean, the NFL is a tough game. There are a lot of injuries. This lifespan of the NFL player is very short. 
adding two more games that mean something. Now, Goodell and the league can spin this all they want. Well, we're still playing the same 20 games. We had, 14, you had four preseason games. No, no, no. Okay. The, the two preseason games, they don't matter. They matter to certain players, but they don't matter to a lot of them. They don't matter to the starters. They don't matter to key backups. Regular season games matter to everybody. And if you want players to put themselves through two extra car crashes a year, you're going to have to give them something. And this is the only leverage the players have for them to maybe stop testing for marijuana, for them to limit Goodell's power, is to give it on the 18-game schedule. I don't see another way they get those things. I don't see any other leverage the players have to get those things. It's unfortunate. It's not fair. But it might be the only way they can get those two things that they really, really want. And and the last story tonight, one of the other pieces we talked about aside from the NFL and the NFLPA was Marcel Darius and him getting suspended and the team releasing a a quite candid statement about how they're how they're disappointed in him. Well, the Bills also released Carlos Williams, and Carlos Williams, I that very much felt like this was a message. They're not going to release Darius, so they're going to have to make somebody pay the price. He arrived to Williams arrived to camp out of shape, and he was going to serve a four game suspension. And so they cut him. They waved him. Nobody claimed him. There's some teams interested in him. But this is a message. This is a message right from Rex Ryan and the organization to Marcel Darius. is get your act together. If the statement I read last week wasn't enough, maybe this is. Now, Williams deserved this. He came into camp out of shape, blamed it on his fiance uh, because he was, was eating too much. And then got himself suspended. So he comes into camp out of shape, which I don't understand how you come into camp out of shape anymore. This is not the 80s. This isn't the 70s. You don't come to training camp nowadays, especially with how few practices there are in general, padded practices there are, tackling there is. There's no time to get in shape in camp. You come to camp in shape and go. There's no excuse for being out of shape at camp. There's no excuse. So between that, the suspension, the fact that he's not a starter... You're not a star player. You're not Marcel Darius. They, they have no sympathy for that. And they cut him, as they should. And it was a mess message. It was a clear message. Well, again, thank you for listening to Episode 2 of Eisner on the Ball Podcast. I will once again shout out to me on Twitter, at J-M-E Eisner. And email at J-A-I-M-E at fanragsports.com. I'm taking any suggestions, thoughts, concerns, questions, constructive criticism, compliments, anything you have. Got the pop filter. You know, that was one of the big requested things. Uh, that's ready and ready to go, and you should be able to hear that on this audio. Thank you once again for listening. I really appreciate it. Again, any and all feedback is welcome, and I will chat with you next week.